I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am answering your questions texted into the podcast phone number, and that number is 828-338-9127. By the way, if you have Enneagram questions or any question at all that you would like to text in, I will answer them here on a future Q&A episode. Today's questions are things like, how do I really know my type? How do I love the type five in my life? What is the difference between type two and four and more? But first, today's rosebud and thorn. My rose today is that I am working from a coffee shop when I wrote out this podcast and that's really exciting for me, just being post-vaccinated out in the world doing things that I haven't done in over a year. So fun. My thorn is that I am officially saying goodbye to my old office. So at the beginning of quarantine, I was working in an office with my best friend and my team and his team were sharing a space. And then the world changed and we moved, we went our separate ways. He worked, I think, from home for a long time, and then I ended up renting an office that was just for me, and I officially move out in a couple of weeks. I start in a new space in July. I'm a little sad to see this one go. The reason being is it's one of, it was just like this opportunity for me to have a little spot that was my own. I decorated it completely. I didn't let anyone have any say in what it looked like or how it felt. It was just a space for me. And that was really beautiful and special. And there's like elements of that space that are part of my visual brand at this point, I think. Like, it's a funny sentence, but um, I have like a wall full of X's on it that I've just been in so many different videos at this point that it's part of my online life and that's, it's an end of an era kind of, you know, but I'm excited. I honestly just didn't use the office as much as I needed to, for, to justify the cost. And, um, I'm going to move out into a, a space where I'm also just like not completely alone because I'm an introverted extrovert, which brings me to my bud, which is we are kind of like what my future office plan is, which I'm joining a co-working space, which I actually am really looking forward to. It's this really cool one in Asheville that's like in an art museum. It's, it's pretty fun. And I'm going to just work out of there, which fits my need as an introverted extrovert. I don't know what order that is, but I am the kind of person, and I don't know if any of you relate to this, but I like to be surrounded by people, but I don't want any of them talking to me. Like, I want to go to a coffee shop and, like, there be people around, but I'm still, like, in my own space and in my own world. That's like my best case scenario for work. And so that's what the co-working space is going to hopefully provide. And then with that, we are converting our dining room and our house into a home office because my darling husband is in school 
I'm in, you know, I want to work from home some days and we just need that space is more functional for us in that way. So we're going to re- like have all these plans and I'm really looking forward to it. We're like building out a bookshelf. We're going to, you know, sell our dining room table and chairs and replace it with some desks and just make it much, much more functional. Because as it stands, it's kind of my favorite room in the house. It's the one that I think is the prettiest, but it's also the one that attracts the most clutter because we're trying to make it work for something that it's not designed for. Like it's set up completely as a dining room, but we're essentially using it as an office. And so it, we just need to like admit what it is already and make it functional. I'm really excited about that. I love a project. I love to have something to think about, something to plan for. And um, I this is my current thing. I'm really excited about it. Okay, let's dive into your questions. Well, before we do that, before we do that, I just want to say I miss you guys. Like I'm, I'm used to talking to you almost every day. And we didn't talk about like one time last week. And I hope you're doing well. I'm going to hopefully the rosebud and thorns enough of a little catch up at the end of the podcast at the end of the sabbatical. I'm going to do an episode just on kind of like what sabbatical was like, what I learned, kind of how it worked, all of that. But um, yeah, it's nice to be here with you. So question number one today says, hi, Sarah Jane. I have really enjoyed your Enneagram podcast. Thank you for all you do. Thank you. I was wondering if you had a written resource by chance that showed ways to best love Enneagram fives in your life. I am a two married to a five. Thank you, Abby. Thanks, Abby. Um, so I don't have written resources yet, but I am working on getting a blog post set up for us. Not a blog post, a blog. I'm getting a blog set up for us just because I do want to blog more and kind of cross post content and expand on things in different ways. So I do want to have a blog. I also do have an online course called the Enneagram and Relationships course where we go into, you know, what's mine in relationships? What's theirs in relationships? How can I love the people in my life better? How can I love myself better? And how can I ask for what I need? You know, how can I show up better and how do I need to show up for them? All of that to say, I do have an Enneagram Relationships course. I'll try to link that below for those of you who are interested in because this might be a really good fit. But but in general, like in the meantime, things to know is first to just not take their need for space personally. It's not about you. Fives need a lot of space and a lot of solitude to recoup. They view the world as like, I start the day with a certain amount of energy. Every interaction I have is pulling that energy away from me. So I need to protect it at all costs or I'm going to be depleted. With that being said, you have a little bit of the twos, you know, they're relational. So they they feed off of the connection and the feedback from other people and they're trying to anticipate needs and meet those needs so that they can get the love that they actually desire in return. And so sometimes those two things can feel at odds with each other. And so when a five takes space, it can often feel like a rejection for people who are a little bit more relationally oriented. So it's really important to not take it personally because it really, truly, truly is not about you. It wouldn't matter who you were. It wouldn't matter what you did. It's just that they need to be alone. So it's it's not you. It wouldn't be different if you were someone else. 
The second thing is it may be helpful to make a plan for the day in terms of what you both need um, because you can then have advocate for your needs. The more you know as a type two, the more you know and acknowledge your needs, the easier it will be to give your five what they need, which is usually time to themselves where they are not needed. And honestly, you probably need the same. You just feel less comfortable asking for that. And so the more that you can honor and meet your own needs, but also ask for what you need directly ahead of time, the less likely it is that you're going to feel like you need to kind of go into their solitude and take from, you know, ask for that from them or um, go into their solitude and give instead of ask, you know, kind of give what you think they want when they really just want to be alone. And so all of that to be said, the, one of the best ways that you can love your five is to love yourself really, really well. If you are loving yourself really, really well as a type two, then that heals a lot of the, the struggles that can arise in your relationships, especially if you're in a relationship to a type five who is typically of the mindset, I take care of me, you take care of you, and then we come together and we're both good. If a five's like, I take care of me, you take care of you, but the two is like, I take care of you, you take care of me, then the five is everybody's taking care of the five and no one's taking care of the two, which is kind of each of your worst nightmares, right? Like the two's got a lot of needs that aren't getting met, that they don't really know how to express or communicate, and the five is feeling invaded upon. So you both need to really do need to be taking care of yourselves, and it's the two's job to pull back and the five's job to intentionally ask what the two might need that day, how they can be of support. The other thing is, when you have a five in your life, it's important to give love without expectation and just be really direct and communicative with what you do want and need because our fives, when things feel like there are strings attached, it will push them further into their own solitude and it'll make them feel like retreating more. So just to reiterate, the most important thing you can do to love a five in your life, especially as a two, is to take care of you, yourself and love yourself really, really well. That's step one. All right, next thing. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you. Your podcast is such a bright spot in my morning. Yeah, that makes me so happy. I have a question about my type. For the longest time, I thought I was a two. I was working as a therapist with children and really fulfilling my helper role. Over the past year, I decided to prioritize my mental health and step down from that position. I have pursued a more creative path and feel like I am finally at peace. Can you talk about the relationship between two and four? Part of me feels like I always, I was always a four. I was just stressed out by my job and environment. So I was showing up as a two. So it can be tricky y'all when the types move to each other in this way. So twos move to four in rest and fours move to two in stress. So they kind of are opposites, right? Like, oh, a stressed out four looks can look like maybe a a two and then a, a restful relaxed two can look like a four so it's a little confusing so what we have to do is to revisit the core drivers and motivators how do you earn your place in the world is really the question we need to ask is it through prioritizing your relationships putting others before yourself like a two or is it through finding and expressing your identity or your significance like a four Type twos by nature are others focused, meaning they prioritize the experience that others are having and adjust accordingly. 
while fours are self-referencing, which can manifest as needing others to see and validate their experience fully, wanting to have their voice and their thoughts heard above all else. So those are just a couple of indicators that could be enough to differentiate between the two. Either way, it sounds like that job was stressing you out and you got some information and that's that's the goal. All right, our next question is, hi, Sarah Jane, I love your podcast and find them and you so easy to listen to. Many thanks, thank you. I just listened to the podcast about type nine subtypes. My question is, can one move, shift, or change to different subtypes at various times of life? I can see how I have leaned more towards certain subtypes at different stages. Thank you, Marianne. Hi, Marianne. So the answer to this really depends on who you ask. When I asked this question to one of my favorite teachers a few years ago, his response was, maybe. And he's been teaching for 30 plus years. And honestly, I like that answer. Maybe. If you are asking me, I will say I think so. If I'm being transparent with you, I believe I was a social seven for the majority of my life, but I went through a divorce and a fair bit of trauma, a remarriage, became business focused over the last few years, and now I think I look much more like a self-pres seven. Self-preservation was always second in my stacking, and I'll get into that in a second, but it does have it does seem to have become more dominant over the last few years. So that's kind of my opinion. Now let's talk a little bit about stacking. So you have, there are three subtypes available to us. Typically we have one that is dominant, one that is secondary, one that is repressed. Oftentimes that first and that secondary can be really closely linked. And that, and I would say that's the case for me. My social and my self-pres are really, really tight. And at times I'm confident that I'm leading with social. At times I'm confident that I'm leading with self-pres. And um, I'm becoming more comfortable just kind of being vague about that because the work is in both of them for me, right? I don't, I don't really know how to say it otherwise. It's kind of both. So with that being said, in my opinion, yes, especially if you're going through something really intense, I, I believe that it can shift and change. If my answer to this is confusing or frustrating, I would honestly just say, maybe let it go for a little bit. Don't worry too much about subtypes right now. It's not the end of the world. If you know your dominant type, you know the main point of what you need to work on. And then what information do those subtypes offer you? You know, if you can see yourself in different ones, well, what is the information there? Because I think sometimes with the Enneagram, we actually can get caught up in finding the correct label for ourselves, right? Like, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm typed in this correct label so that I know how to identify. But the whole goal of the Enneagram is not to identify with it. It's to step beyond it. So if I think about, am I a social or self-pressed seven? Well, what am I really asking myself? I'm asking myself, hey, am I a seven who is struggling currently with over-sacrificing? Maybe. Am I a seven who's struggling a little bit with ambitious desires than having like big dreams but no follow-through? Maybe. You know, there's a lot of both of that. And then playing with that, like what does that mean for me in my life? How can I move beyond that more than how can I identify with this? Where do I, how do I find the right label? To me, in my opinion, is less important than what's the work I want to do with this? How can I love myself through this better? 
And so if it's connective and expansive, then like maybe work with that for a bit, right? If the label and understanding the label makes you feel like you know what your work is, you can expand, you can go from here. Cool, that's awesome. But otherwise, maybe just take a little pause on it. It's not the most important thing that you have the correct label for yourself, in my personal opinion. But my simple answer to your question is that, yeah, totally. I think I think they can change. We will take just a second to hear from today's podcast sponsor, Love Every. Watching the little ones in your life grow and learn is one of the coolest feelings in the world. But honestly, finding toys that help them grow and learn can be challenging. Like, it's often either in educational or it's fun or we've we've tried these things before where you get something sent to you in the mail and it's educational but it's really just like kind of made out of it's like not durable so you can't play with it over and over and over again we got like one good play out of it and then it was over so when a good friend of mine was having a birthday for their kiddo I knew I wanted to send them a gift and that's what led me to love every it was just like this I can send you something that I know is going to be fun. I know it's going to be durable, like they're gonna get a lot of good play out of it, and it's going to be enriching for your kiddo. Love Every's play kits are designed by experts for your child's developing brain. Each play kit is tailored to your child's exact learning stage. So they have the right toys for the right time. With new play kits delivered every few months that grow with your child. Play kits come with unique, one-of-a-kind activities and play things that are built to endure plenty of play, which is honestly, I think, the best part. Like, it's not like they're giving you something that's just going to end up in the trash anyway. Like, it's something that they're going to get to actually play with for a while. And each kit comes with a play guide that's packed with expert tips, ways to play, and do-it-yourself at-home activities your kids will love. Like I said, I sent a play kit to a dear friend of mine, and this is what she had to say. It has been so fun. Both boys play with it every day. There's a camper van that you open with a simple key and four little wooden dolls. They each have a sleeping bag, so they play like they are going to sleep and camping. And there's also a little tent for them. There are geometric, colorful blocks for building fun towers. And there's a counting box that's used to learn how to count, but their imaginations run wild and use it for all kinds of play. You can take the guesswork out of your child's play Choose Love Every today and get free shipping when you sign up to receive your play kits at loveevery.com slash egram. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y dot com slash egram for free shipping. Again, loveevery.com slash egram. Thank you, Love Every, for supporting the podcast. All right, our next question is, hi, Sarah Jane. My question is that I have taken maybe four Enneagram tests and they all give me a different result. What should I do? It's been a few months. Should I start fresh and trust my first result? Is there a specific test you recommend? Thank you so much, Eliza. Hi, Eliza. So this is why I really recommend tests. It's just kind of confusing, right? Like, it's so easy to mistype that it honestly sends us into like this weird spiral of confusion and misunderstanding. So honestly, my suggestion is to read the descriptions of the types 
and see which one resonates with you the most. Uh, you can do this at EnneagramInstitute.com. It's a really good place to start. Just read the types, especially if there's a few that you already kind of resonate with. Start there and don't overthink it. Which one makes you uncomfortable or like you've been exposed in some way? Like that you feel seen and known. That's the one. That's it. It is not more complicated than that. Honestly, my mistyping journey started with me reading the description of my type and saying out loud, this feels like someone read my journal to me and then second guessing that initial feeling for like two years. But I knew my type and I think that happens a lot. Like we read the description of our type, we resonate with it and then we get into our heads and we try to make sure that it's the correct one. We kind of like overthink the thing and it if we overthink it, we can definitely find a way that we are a lot of different types. But in reality, it's, it hits different when you read the one that is your type. So until you read one that really hits your gut, keep reading the type descriptions. That's where, that's the, where the magic is, in my opinion. The next question is, hi, I just found your podcast and wow, so much information. Awesome. Um, I just realized I am a social seven. My daughter has been saying I'm a two, but I do not care about the image I portray to anyone and helping isn't natural for me, even though I am a foster and adoptive parent. Anyway, I want to hear about the wings. I haven't heard a good description of them yet, and your podcast is incredible. Can you send me to the podcast episodes that could shed some light on this? Thanks a million, Edie. Hi, Edie. Um, so I do have a podcast episode on wings specifically. It's actually all the way back at season one, episode five. So definitely go check that out because I break it down in detail there. But for the sake of today's podcast, um, here's a little description of how I see the wings as at this point in my journey. So wings are only the two types on either side of your number, meaning a seven can only have the wings of eight and six. I believe that you have both wings, but it's common to be unbalanced in your wings, meaning you lean into one or the other. They're really just an added flavor to your dominant type. So a seven using their eight wing primarily is going to prioritize their life satisfaction, but maybe more direct and independent, while a seven leaning into their six wing may be more community oriented and cautious. If you've balanced wings, you may find that your seven traits are balanced out a bit by the traits of eight and six. Sevens in general are quick to take action, quick to stop act, and quick to stop taking action, like quick to commit, quick to quit. There's a little rhyme there for you, but both eights and sixes are good with follow through. So this can be helpful to work on for the sevens to kind of pull the energy in from eight and six to help you to stay the course and do hard things and stick through things even when they're uncomfortable. It's also possible to not utilize either of your wings, but I don't recommend it as your wings have things that you need. You know, I, it's my opinion that the numbers that are on either side of us and the numbers that we go to in lines are there to support us. They're skills that we have that oftentimes can go untapped, but if we can really tap into them, they can be beneficial. So you could intentionally work with the energy of six and eight to do some of your personal growth work. Um, but Again, do definitely go back and listen to that episode. It's episode five from season one. It will break down wings even more for you. All right, our final question for today. Hi, my question is how can I enact healthy boundaries as a two? So for my twos, when it comes to boundaries, 
I say start where your resentment lives. Where are you experiencing anger and what do you think needs to happen in order for you to feel better? Often our twos can get caught up in not paying attention to their own needs and so when things don't feel good, they think that someone should just know what they need because they are attempting to know what everyone else needs. So it should be happening for them as well. But that resentment is really the information that you have about what you need and what doesn't feel good to you. So notice where your resentment lives. Ask yourself, what's in the circle of control here? Like, what can I do about this? Do as much as you can. And then also ask what is coming into my space that is making this too much of a sacrifice and ask for what you need. Now, the reason this is hard is because twos think that they are loved for what they do. So until you set those boundaries, you aren't giving the people in your life a chance to show you that you can be loved for who you are and not what you do. I want to say that again. Until you set those boundaries, you will never see the evidence that you can be loved for who you are and not what you do, right? If you've built your whole life around being loved for what you do, you've likely done a couple of things. You've likely invited a lot of people into your life who benefit from that and are there for that. But you've also likely attracted a lot of great people who are waiting (laughs) to just love you for who you are and would love you even especially when you relax about trying to love them so well. When you pour that attention back on you, it makes them happy. But you won't know that until you set the boundaries you need to set and let them love you the way that you need to be loved. And this is actually kind of a form of vulnerability that our two struggle with. Being seen in what you need. It's scary. Your whole life is built in opposition to that. It's built around, I'm not need, I don't need you, but you need me. But the reality is you have a ton of needs and you're just trying to get those needs met by meeting the needs of other people. And so what you, you have to kind of pull back and say, be vulnerable here, be willing to open up and be seen in the scariest parts. Ask for need, ask for your needs to be met, ask for people to you know, stay back where they need to stay back and ask for what you need in your circle, in your space to have the life that you want to have, to have the energy that you need to have to do your day and to feel good in your life. It's so vulnerable, right? But it's exactly what you need for your healing process. Now on that note, today's food for thought is from Jada DeWalt. To be deeply loved means a willingness to cut yourself wide open, exposing your vulnerabilities, hopes, hurts, fears, and flaws, hopes, hurts, fears, and flaws. Hiding behind the highlight reel of who you are is the real you, and that person is just as worthy of love. There's nothing more terrifying or fulfilling than complete love, but it's worth the risk. Reach for it. Happy boundary setting, R2s. And as always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you. I will see you tomorrow for the next episode. And if you have Enneagram questions, don't forget to call or text them in to 828-338-9127. A little insider tip, I prioritize voicemails. So just kind of so you know, this episode, these texts are from back in April because I'm still catching up on texts but my voicemail inbox is currently empty 
And if a voicemail comes in, it gets prioritized. It gets the next episode. Like the last voicemail episode came in the week that I answered the question. So if you want your, your question answered fast, call it in and leave a voicemail and we'll do it. All right, friends, thank you for being here. I will see you tomorrow for the next one.